0: This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Welcome back, and welcome to those of you who are here for the first time in this session. We have been together now, what is this, our fourth session for many of you, And um, we have addressed a number of issues that in working with young people and young women, particularly, have emerged as being important, significant, or of interest as women try to live godly lives, as they try to be prepared for the end of time and the judgment, because we are at that point now where time has progressed in such a way that there's not a whole lot of time left. There's not a lot of time left, and the theme for this conference is so important because if we don't now remember the Creator, if we don't now make the choices, you're having trouble hearing me. All right. And I don't know if we can get someone to increase the mic. So, how about I just talk more loudly? And when I forget that I'm talking and I get soft again, then somebody let me know and we'll yell some more. And hopefully, there'll be a voice tomorrow. But God has been so good, anyway, so far, that um, I'm just in awe of what He's done so far. All right, shall we pray? Let's begin. And get going. I know that you're cold. I'm praying that you feel warmer. And if it gets unbearable, we'll do something else. All right? But for now. Father, we love you. And you love us. And you speak to us particularly as women. Not because... We're more than. But just because we are and you made us the way that we are. So we come to you as your daughters. One more time. Asking, Lord, that you would bless us. Asking, Lord, that you'd continue to feed us. Because how can we grow if we're not fed? And, Lord, we seek not to be fed by any other but you. So speak to us. Speak through me. And Lord, as you speak to us, may we be changed. And we give you all the honor and all the glory in advance for the work that you're doing, going to do, and have done in our lives. We thank you and we love you. Amen. When I was first invited to speak about women's issues, because believe me, this was not one of those things on my heart. They asked me to come and speak about the Proverbs 31 woman. And I thought to myself at the time, you picked the wrong woman. And now, Proverbs 31, she cooks and she sews and she takes care of her husband. And her children come up and call her blessed. And her husband calls her blessed. And she runs a side business. And she does all these wonderful things. And in my head, she also had long hair, you know. (laughs) and nice clothes, and a really cute shape, because she's the Proverbs 31 woman. I went, and in preparing for that, I hit a subject that I honestly had never really dealt with before. Don't know why, just hadn't dealt with before. And it turned out to be a subject that not only hit me, but hit a lot of other women as well. And it's turned out to be one of those things where people say, are we going to talk about, and so yes, we're going to talk about the S word. Okay. We're going to talk about submission. All right. <laughs> not that S word. <laughs> we did that in the last session. Where were you? All right. Titus 2, going back to Titus, we're in Titus a lot today, Titus 2, because you know Titus 2 is the other passage, is the Proverbs 31, and then there's Titus 2, and um, so when we go and we look at Titus 2, in chapters 4 and 5, I mean in verses 4 and 5, they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home to be kind and in some versions to be subject to their husbands in some versions to be obedient to their husbands in some versions to submit to their husbands so those beautiful older women train the younger women to submit all right first peter 3 verses 1 and 2 in first peter 3 in verses one and one and two, Paul will talk about something very similar. In some versions, it says, "Likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives." In other versions, it says, "Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that any, if any of them do not believe." they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so, a woman came to me and said, what does that mean? That we need to be submissive. That we need to be submissive to our husbands. And I was like, let me go study and find out. Partially, because... The idea of submission does not come naturally to me. My personality, as you probably have figured out by now, somehow does not naturally do the meek and quiet voice and the submissive demeanor. Yes, sir. And in my head, and in the heads of many women, that's what it really meant that somehow we needed to be saying, yes sir, yes sir, to men. And I thought, initially, that perhaps this was small groups of women who struggled with an idea that was not widespread. But if you get onto the internet nowadays and you look up submission Women submit, you will open an incredible cornucopia of different opinions, different sermons, different blogs, so forth and so on, talking about what that means and what people ought to do and what it ought to look like. There are even in all of that maelstrom, a whole movement outside of Christianity, at least most of it is outside of Christianity, and some of you are familiar with it, where women are identifying themselves as submissives and involved in relationships in which they self-identify, not within Christian tradition, as submissives, and live in relationships that in many cases are described as, I am a submissive, and he tells me what to wear. He tells me how to dress. He tells me, in fact, there are some cases in which I don't work, I stay at home. When he comes home, I kneel down and say, yes, sir. And this is not within particular Christian traditions, and there are indeed within some of that some... Um, overtones that are really problematic from a sexual perspective, so on and so forth. So the issue of submission is not a simple one, and it's not one that only applies to women in the church. And so when the Bible says that a woman ought to be submissive to her husband, and we're going to come back to that phrase, in a minute, what are we talking about? Let's look at some perhaps opposites. Go with me to Proverbs. Proverbs 7. And let's look at 11 and verses 11 and 12 in Proverbs. So we're looking in Proverbs 7. Verses eleven and twelve. And Proverbs, you know, has the wise woman and the foolish woman and wisdom and he and the foolish man and the foolish man in the twilight in the black and dark of night in verse ten, behold there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. And she is loud and stubborn, and her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. And so when in Proverbs he talks about the foolish woman, the foolish woman, he says, is out there, and she's loud and boisterous and contentious. And if you look at Proverbs 9 and verse 13, you will see another picture of the foolish woman. It says, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city and calls to the passengers who go right in their ways. In some other versions it says, she's loud and she's undisciplined and without knowledge. And there seem to be these visual images that contrast it. This loud boisterous, clamorous, quarrelsome woman on the one hand and the submissive woman on the other. And so people have interpreted that to mean that what you really need is to be very, very quiet. I listened to a pastor from a different persuasion on the internet who said, I've told my sons that when they marry they need to marry a woman who does not have a loud voice. And he was serious. He was not joking. Okay. And he said because a woman with a loud voice is a woman who doesn't know how to be submissive. Is that what scripture is talking about? Is that what scripture means? Because I can tell you, there's some women with quiet voices who are interesting. (laughs) I live in the South. Excuse me. And one of the things that I've learned in the South is you can do great damage sweetly and quietly. (laughs) And so somebody with the sweetest look on their face and the quietest voice. And when I first came in, people said, bless your heart and I thought it was a compliment. I said, thank you. And I have learned that in Alabama, bless your heart, is not always a compliment, but it's almost always said very, very sweetly. So when we're talking about submission, we're talking about something different than simply a quiet voice. Now, understand that when the Bible talks about a gentle and quiet spirit, that's not the same thing as a quiet voice. Right. Because you can have a quiet voice and not have a gentle and quiet spirit. And you can have a gentle and quiet spirit and at times need to speak out loud. Okay. So we're not talking about the gentle and quiet spirit. We're talking about... The role of a woman in relationship to her husband. And let me note here that the scripture specifically for women says wives submit to your husband. It does not say women submit to men. Okay. Go back and read it for yourself. However, those single people who just got happy... Because we don't have to submit. We're single. Yay! <laughs> um, let me suggest to you. Well, let me help you read it. Ephesians 5 21. Now, this is for everybody, but it's particularly for the single woman, all right? The Bible doesn't make it particularly for you, but I am for this moment because I saw your faces, okay? And that sigh of relief. It really doesn't mean me. I was there for a minute as well. You know, the word has a way of taking us. Because in Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. But in Ephesians 5, verse 21, what does it say? For all of the church submit to to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're not off the hook because we're supposed to submit to each other. The Bible says that the body of Christ needs to submit to each other. So what does it mean? Does that mean that I give away my power? Does that mean that I give away my choice? Does that mean that I'm a submissive person, so therefore anybody else can direct me and tell me where to go and how to do it? Yes? No? So what does it mean? Let me suggest that before we submit to each other, before we submit to husbands, We are called to submit to God. Our first call is submission to God. And what submission suggests is that I understand that I yield to you. Now, the interesting thing about submission is we often think of it as having power over When you submit to somebody, it's because we just gave them power over us, domination over us. Does God dominate? No. One of the things that makes him God as opposed to the devil is that he does not dominate. He gives us choice. And so one of the first things about submission when the Bible calls us to submission is submission is voluntary. It's something that we do to the one that we submit to. It's not something that they do to us. Are you hearing me? Submission is voluntary. And it was radical in the day that Paul was talking about it. When Paul talks to women and he says, submit to your husbands, when he talks to slaves and he says, submit to your masters, he was saying something revolutionary. Because the understanding of the time was that slaves had no choice, women had no choice. You were controlled by the other. And Paul says, wait, you're a woman and you have a choice. Choose to submit. You understand that choosing to submit is very different from having someone forcing you to submit? And so Paul says, if you're a slave, yes, yes, You can have your master lord it over you, or you can make a choice and say, I submit to this authority. I submit. If you're a woman, you could choose to submit. And as church members, you could choose to submit to each other. Voluntarily. Have been in a board meeting? A business meeting? What would it look like if we chose voluntary submission? See, so sometimes you have to take it from this wonderful idea up here and bring it to the ground. Because what the Bible says is, you know what? Choose to submit to each other. You can choose to say, I yield. I give you that right. I can choose to say, I am not standing on my rights. And believe me, I've been in some meetings where the saints were standing on their rights. And you kept waiting for someone to submit. And I'll be honest, sometimes that someone was not me. And the Lord confronted me with that. What would it be like, Janice, if even when you think you're right, even when you know, quote, unquote, that they're wrong, even when you believe that this is the way to go, you chose to yield? What do you think? I'm serious about this. What do you think would happen in a board meeting or a business meeting? If people chose to yield, what do you think some of the consequences would be? They'd be shorter. What else? (laughs) There might be world peace. Uh, Definitely, might we not hear each other better? Because one of the things about when I am so adamantly pushing my perspective, I'm offered not hearing. And as we each get deeper into our entrenched positions, not only can we not hear, but we cannot understand. And so God knew something about interpersonal relationships. God's an incredible communication theorist. And he understood that if you want communities to work, people have to learn to yield. People have to learn to say, okay, Maybe we could do it that way. Okay. You feel strongly about that? Okay. We could do that. Or you know what? I'm happy to let go of this so that we can do that. When you submit to God, it's a yield. It's a different kind of yield. I didn't really think that one would have trouble submitting to God. I mean, after all, he's God. He knows everything. He can do everything. So isn't it obvious that I will submit? As I've been working with this passage and living with it in my life, I'm realizing that submission to God is not always as easy as we think. Some of you perhaps have some areas where submission is really easy. Yes, Lord. Definitely, Lord. Immediately, Lord. I will, Lord. And then, there are other areas that don't work quite as well. I discovered an interesting thing that I really did not know. My mother is going through some health issues, and There were things that it was easy for me to give up for me that it's not as easy to give up when it has to do with her. And so I'd go to the hospital loaded for bear because I'm here to make sure that she's okay. And I'm here to insist that she gets what she needs. And I'm here to... And I'm studying and it says, submit. Yield to people in authority. Wait wait a minute, but who's going to take care of her? How will it be okay? What happens if... Submission is about trust. Submission is about trust. In order to really be able to submit to God, I have to trust that he is... And he will, and he does. Let me push you just a little bit. You know, part of my job here is to allow the word to make you a little uncomfortable. Think about the areas in your life where you submit easily to God. Most of us have some. Now let me ask you another question. What are the areas in your life where you struggle to say, yes, Lord, definitely, Lord, immediately, Lord? Because you know, delayed obedience is disobedience. Submit first to God. Because he can only be Lord as we submit I may have mentioned this before there is a quote from Dag Hammarskjöld where he says you can say no and you can say Lord but you can't say no Lord because if you say no he's no longer Lord Submission to God means that it's always yes, Lord. And I use Lord specifically because Lord is one of those terms that shows us best that dichotomy, that sense of us in subjection, in submission to God. God wants our voluntary submission. He doesn't want your fear. Well, Lord, I'm going to submit to you because if I don't, um, I might die. He wants a submission that comes out of love, respect, and trust. I love you, I believe you, and I believe that you love me. And I believe that you love me sufficiently that I can trust you. And so, yes, Lord, immediately. There was a women's conference where one of the things that they did was to give every woman a white handkerchief that had on it written, Yes, Lord. And the idea was, I surrender. Yes, Lord. And I thought it was an incredibly great idea. And had the money, might have brought you some. When we've learned to wave the white flag, when we've learned to surrender to God, then the concept of surrendering to each other becomes easier. Because if I can trust God and I know you're in charge in this board meeting, then maybe I don't have to push so hard. Maybe we don't have to fight so much. Maybe we will let you do what it is that you do as God. The issue of submission in marriage is a major issue, partially because of the challenges that women have faced generationally. In the Bible, where is the first place that the idea of submission in a marital relationship occurs? Eden, in Genesis. What happens in Genesis? There's Adam, there's Eve, there's sin, And following the sin, God says what about their relationship? Do you remember? Pardon me? Your desire will be to your husband. He will be over you. And when God said that, was he cursing people? Was the intent that women should suffer for the rest of history? No. No. No, the intent was not that woman would be subjugated, abused, battered, mistreated, ignored. That was not God's intent. And when you see how God treats women in scripture, you know that he never treats women that way. So there are some things that submission is not. There are some things that submission will not be. In this context, for example, submission is not an excuse for lording over. Submission is not a way to turn around and say to another human being, I put you in the place of God. And if I turn to another human being, husband or not, and give them complete power over me, We have now just put that person in the place of God. Eve was still responsible to God for her choices. Eve was still responsible to God for her relationship with him. That was not outside of and separate from. Am I making sense? Does it match what you know in scripture? And so, in Genesis, when we see that division, it was God's understanding that even within that relationship, Adam and Eve love each other, operate together, and are in a triangle with God. That was always the intent. And that was the way that it was going to go. But you know what? We are so good at distorting what God intends to do. I want to talk about abuse for a moment because in the Christian community we have often suggested that abuse is okay in marital relationships because this is part of submission. And I actually... Watched a video recently in which the pastor said, and it it was not an Adventist pastor, praise God, but the pastor said, If your husband hits you, respond in submission. And I listened very carefully because I wanted to see what that meant. I mean, obviously, if he hits you, don't hit him back. And maybe that was all he was saying, and I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that. You know, let's not start world war going on here. And he said, well, because you are in submission to your husband, and he suggested that you might wait a day or so, and then perhaps call the church, And I believe that the church has a role to play in abusive situations. We are the body of Christ. And part of what the body of Christ does is to enfold and encourage and protect and nurture all of the body. That's why we're all put in community. But this idea that this was okay at some level under a level of submission is unacceptable. It is not what scripture tells us about abuse of power. Somebody turn to Jeremiah 23, verse 2. Jeremiah 23, verse 2. 23, where God says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people. ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings. Here are people in authority. And God says, I will not tolerate your abuse of your authority. I will not tolerate your abuse of those under you. And if you go to Ezekiel 34, you're going to see something similar. If we go to Zechariah, we're going to see something similar where God basically says to people in authority, it is not okay for you to abuse, misuse, or mistreat those that you have authority over. So... In no way can we imagine that God says, it's okay within the relationship that mirrors my relationship with the church for there to be abuse. It's just not acceptable. And so one of the things that submission is not is acceptance of abuse. It is neither unthinking obedience Submission is not, I give you my head and my will. Because the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind. Okay. How can I love the Lord my God with all my mind if I've given my mind to someone else? No matter who that someone else is. That's why we say to people, for example, hypnosis, hypnosis. Is not godly, because it gives control of our minds to someone else. So it's not unthinking obedience. It's not control of our mind to someone else. So what is it? In a marriage, what's submission? Respect? Yielding? Okay, yes, we can do that. We can go that way. So does that mean that I have no opinion, that I don't share my opinion in a marriage? No. Scripture does not lead us there, does not guide us there. What it does suggest is, and there's some very interesting discussions online about this, what it does suggest is that someone has to lead. And so there are all these things online about, well, you know, If What it really means is if you have a decision to make and that decision, you can't come to an agreement, someone's got to break the tie, and so you yield. Now, are there married people in the room? Okay. Now, in reality, there are a couple of things. One is how often do you really get to a decision where you can't figure it out, where you have to break a tie, number one. And number two, what happens when you have people who love each other, who are looking for each other's good, who are trying for each other, and you've got someone, what does the Bible say, that husbands ought to love their wives? Like Christ loved the church? And I have a friend who says, and you know what Christ did for the church, he died for the church. So husbands love your wives enough to die for them. Seems to me, if somebody loves me enough to die for me, the likelihood is that he might want to hear my point of view on something from time to time. You know? And I'm not advocating, let's be clear, I'm not advocating that we suggest our husbands commit suicide for us or any other bizarre thing, all right? but I'm going to say something about submission. The more that I know God, the easier it is to submit to him. The more that we journey, the easier it is for me to say, yes, Lord, immediately, Lord, because I have a relational history with him. And so on these things that I don't know, I can trust him based on the things that I know. Mrs. White says we have nothing to fear for the future unless we forget the way that the Lord has led us in the past. When you're thinking about a husband to whom, Scripture says, you give submission, you might want to choose that one carefully. You might want to think carefully about a relationship that builds sufficient trust, Sufficient respect, sufficient understanding, sufficient communication over time. So that when you say, yes, dear, that yes, dear comes out of a position of true voluntary submission. You ever seen those people who, there's some couples every now and then, and the other ones that, yes, dear, yes, dear. Yeah, teeth are gritted, face is tight. Okay, we don't call that voluntary submission. Okay, the voluntary is extremely important in our thinking about it. So, how do we place that concept of submission with the concept of leadership? Do women lead? Should women lead? And I'm going to make a caveat right now that I'm not going to talk about women's ordination. Um, when I first started speaking for the Lord back late 70s, early 80s, that was a really big issue that was a part of when that really started to grow in the Adventist church. And I'd done a lot of studying and thinking about it and so forth and so on. And I was getting ready to go somewhere to speak. And basically, as I was praying about it, it's like, that's not your issue. That's not your thing to talk about. That's, I'm sending you to do other things. I have people who are handling, dealing with that, but that's not what I'm giving you to do. And I have tried to be um, faithful to that call and faithful to that distinction. And so that's not an issue I discuss publicly. Um, but leadership is not about position. Leadership is not about power. What makes a leader? The ability to have somebody follow. That's a leader. The ability to have others follow. And in a broader sense, the ability often to set a a vision for the person to follow. Are you a leader? Not a rhetorical question. Are you a leader? Every woman I know is a leader. Why? Whether you choose it or not, someone is following you. That's the only thing you hear me say in this session. You are a leader. Somebody is watching you and following you as in, what, 12-year-old sitting in church watching Dr. Norell James get up and do things for Education Day and so forth. She had no idea that there was a 12-year-old sitting there thinking, she's a doctor. One day, Lord, one day. She didn't know. And when I walk across the stage and got my diploma and they hooded me and so forth and so on, I remember thinking, you know? Norrell James. What, 20 something years later maybe? Somebody is watching you. Someone is following you. Someone is being influenced by you. And Titus says, older women, Be intentional about influencing younger women. That's what your job is. You are here to lead. When I talk to young women who often think they can wait for leadership, let me suggest to you, in today's society, you can't wait. You are leading now. So the question is not if you will lead, it is how you will lead. Be careful who you follow because the people following you are also following them. So if you are not following Christ, where are the people who are following you going? If you are not modeling Christ, Who are the people who see you as their model following? When you lead, when you live, when you talk, when you act, whatever you do, guaranteed somebody is following you. There is an African proverb that says, men are the head and women are the neck that turned the head. Maybe I shouldn't have said that on tape. Um, The influence that we have on the men in our lives, and I don't mean only our husbands and boyfriends, the men in our lives, our brothers, our fathers, our cousins, the young men at church, the influence that we have on the men in our lives is much greater than we ever imagined. The men in our lives, look to us for many things. They look to us to see themselves reflected, to tell them a little bit about who they are and what value they have. And one of the questions that's interesting to me is, the men in my life, the men in your life, what is the way that we respond to them telling them about who they are? And what they're worth. Because we are affected, are we not? By the people in our circles. By the way that they look at us and treat us and so forth. So part of your leadership influence has to do with how you relate to the men in your lives. They may not be men that you're giving direction to. But they are making choices often based on how we see them and how we treat them. Does that make sense to you? Do you see that? That the power that we have is much more than we think. And so older women in Titus are instructed to teach younger women how to relate to their husbands, how to relate to their children, because that power is understood. There's an interesting passage in Acts 13, let's go to Acts 13, and we'll look at 16 to 40, and we won't read all of it, but it's a passage that I don't remember looking at until recently in that way. And it's a story that has to do with Paul, and um, they're traveling And they go through their mission missionary journeys, and um, they are. Let me make sure that we're in the right place. Oh, I'm on the wrong page because I'm like, look at this, doesn't look. So, we're looking at Acts 13. Okay, good. And when we go to. Verses let's go to sixteen. And I'm not hitting the story where I need it. But go to verse fifty. I'll I'll take I'll tell you the story and we'll go down to verse fifty. They're traveling and there are issues with the Jews, as there often are when Paul and Barnabas are traveling. And so after they've talked and spoken and in verse 48, the Gentiles hear it and they're glad and they glorify the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is published throughout all the region. So what they went there to do is being accomplished and being accomplished well. But look at verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. And I find that an interesting sentence because it doesn't say they went to the priests. They went to the male leadership. First, they went to the women. And they went to the devout and honorable women and said, basically, you know what? we got to get them out of here. They've got to go. And the woman and the chief men of the city were the ones that raised the persecution and that expelled them out of their coasts. Don't underestimate our power. Don't underestimate our power for good, but don't underestimate our power to be used in destructive ways, in ways that the devil would want to use us. These were women who, the Bible says, are devout and honorable. What happened? I would love to know what they said to them that got them to run Paul and Barnabas out of their area. Leadership is the ability to influence. Those women influenced. Let me suggest that somewhere... They stopped hearing what God was saying. Somewhere, they heard a different voice and instead of saying, yes, Lord, they went another way. Now it's our choices. What are you going to do with your voluntary submission? Who are you going to volunteer that submission to? And what are you going to do with your leadership. The power of the women gathered at this conference is amazing. It's amazing. What could God do if every one of us said, yes, Lord, and then proceeded to lead in the sphere where he put us? Maybe... Our leadership is children. Maybe our leadership is in our home. Maybe our leadership is influence on our job. Some of us will have positions of authority, but of a lot of us won't. I don't know your sphere of influence. I don't know where you're called to lead. Do you? If you know where you're called to lead... Then you know that God has placed in your hand an incredible gift, an incredible power. If you don't know yet, then pray for that. Ask him to be very clear with you and be sensitive to those people coming behind you. The young women, the children, and the men around you that God has allowed you to touch. In positive ways. And understand the touch that I mean in this context. Okay. She said that I could come and touch you. I say that you're already touching them by your lives. By your lives. Keep your hands to yourself. Okay, Keep your hands off other people's present husbands and future husbands. Keep your hands to yourself. Um, and and I, I say that a little bit in jest and a lot in seriousness. We have impact. We have power. And all of it needs to be submitted to God. Your hands don't go anywhere that the Lord didn't send them. Seriously or playfully. Okay. want to pray together about what God is going to do through your leadership, about the plan that he has in store for you. We started the day talking about identity. You're planned for. He has a purpose for you. He has chosen you for that purpose and preserved you to do that. And so GYC is partially about energizing and releasing you to do what he's called you to do. That's why you're here. If you were here to just gather information, you know, that'd be different. But you didn't come to gather information. You came to hear the word from the Lord to get your marching orders for the next thing that he's trying to do through you. Let me pray with and over you as you prepare for that. Let's pray. Lord, in this room, there's an incredible group of women. In this room, Lord, is an incredible collection of giftedness. Each woman in this room has a gift, and multiple gifts that you have given to her. Each woman in this room has a power to influence and change lives in dramatic ways as we follow you. Lord, it's marvelous and it's scary. Because what happens, Lord, if we lose our way? What happens if we somehow stop following you? What about those you've given to us to influence what about those you've given to us to nurture and mentor and put around us who even just watching us might get to see and follow you? So we come asking for something that we know already that you want to give. We ask, Lord, that you would take each of us. Re-consecrate us. Lord, take us Change us, cleanse us, and then, Lord, use us in the way that you see fit. And in the process, Lord, as you change and shape us, help us to be submissive. Make us willing, Lord, to be made willing. Teach us how to say in a voice of joy and anticipation, yes, Lord. Immediately, Lord. And then, Lord, as we follow you and as we accomplish what you set out for, for us to do, we know that it's only you and it's all you. So we give you all the honor and all the glory. And we look forward, Lord, to what you're going to do in and through and with each woman in this room. Thank you. Thank you. We just thank you and we love you. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.